Okay, good morning. So, Pastor Rich is having a much-needed vacation, deserved vacation in Florida, so he's having a good time, and he sends his blessings, and he's praying for me, so you're in good hands, so that's good. Uh, so, typically, I'm not up here. I help out in the back with the children's ministry, uh, but this is a great opportunity. I'm glad to be here, and my goal today, I just want to preach the word. Ah, all right, yeah. You're awake. Okay. So that was a really good message. That's a hard act to follow because, as Rich talked about, just the importance of preaching the Word. So that is my goal. Although I feel like he gave me the easiest Sunday of the year because you have an extra hour of sleep. So you won't be falling asleep. Let's, let's hope so. So today I want to talk to you about, my message is titled, Big Problems, Big Profit. And so I'd like to talk about uh, James chapter 1, so you can turn there, please. So big problems, big profit. So I want to talk about four things. Number one, the various trials that we face. Number two, our response. What should our response be to those trials? Three, our reward. What's the benefit or what's the profit for facing those trials in the right way? And finally, I would like to talk a little bit about the persecuted church, which I don't know if you knew. I didn't know this actually before this week. Today is the national day of prayer for the persecuted church. Today and November 13th. I didn't, did anyone know that? Yeah, so that's really timely since this is what we're talking about today. And I just want to start by saying I'm no expert at suffering and overcoming trials. Uh, many of you might be going through things that I have yet to experience and understand. And so I'm not here to be an expert on that. But I do feel this was a message on my heart. So I feel that... You know, my hope is that God can give you hope amidst the trial you're going through or prepare you for a trial you may face in the future because the truth is it's going to happen. And I, I would like to share those some trials. I'll, I'll have a few experiences that I could share that demonstrate God's faithfulness in my life and how he's used those trials to build character and endurance. So that's my goal. So let's read James 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. Now I have the New King James Version, so you, yours might sound different. And I actually, uh, I think it would be a good idea to read it twice. Because many of you have NIV. I know that's what Pastor Rich uses. So let's, I'm going to start with King James, New King James. It says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind." For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, 
unstable in all his ways. So I just want to read in the NIV. It's, some of the words are slightly different and might trigger you know, a certain thought um, that might be good. So let's do that. So James 1, again, new NIV. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. So that word's a little different there. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. So I'll stop there. That's the meat of what I'll be talking about. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, you know I come to you today with just the couple loaves and fish that I have, Lord, and I just pray that the preparation that I've done and the things that you would like to say, you would speak through me, and that you would take any human words that I have away. And Lord, there are some major things going on in our lives, and we need your hope and your strength and your courage, not the wisdom of man, but from you, Lord. And we ask for your touch here today. We ask that you would minister to us the things that we need. And we expect and we trust and have faith that you're going to show up uh, and work in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I quickly want to mention James, who he was. Now you can study this. I looked into it and it's commonly accepted this is James, the half-brother of Jesus, who during Jesus' earthly ministry didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Later he, it's reported that he witnessed the resurrection of Christ in Acts 15. So something changed. And in fact, in Acts chapter 15, it also talks about how James stood up and he settled a dispute among the disciples. So he was a church leader. He was a prominent church leader, a man well-respected. Paul calls him a pillar of the faith. So this man, a deeply spiritual man, who was trained in the Jewish traditions, um, deserved in all ways to be, you know, respected. He was a spiritual giant, I would say. It's even, uh, the tradition says that he had knees that were calloused because of how much he prayed. He prayed so much his knees were like camel's knees, it's reported. Also, it's thought, this isn't in the Bible, but it's thought historically that he was martyred for his faith and for his testimony for Christ because he faced uh, persecution from the Jewish community because he believed in the Messiah. So this guy, the spiritual giant, he could have started out the letter saying, James, you know, he could have listed his credentials, his qualifications, his experience. Yeah, you remember me, the guy who settled this Sputin in, in uh, the early church, the guy who everyone loves and respects, the guy who prays like crazy. No, he didn't say that, which is, I think, very interesting. He said he was a bondservant. That's his qualification, a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I think this is important. A bondservant is a, is a slave by choice. So he chose to be a slave for Jesus for life. And the truth is we have to be a slave to somebody or something. So you might as well choose Christ who loves you and has a plan for your life. That makes sense. 
So he acknowledged his true place in God's kingdom. And that's what made him great. And that's what gives him, I think, the authority, really, to speak in this way. A man who certainly suffered trials. So he says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered abroad. So that's a little bit about the author of James. Now the audience of James, he's talking to the twelve tribes scattered abroad. So this is a reference to the early Jewish believers who through persecution, some of which came from Paul, were spread throughout uh, the nations. They left Israel, or left Jerusalem, and they were scattered in Acts 8. Four says that they were scattered and went everywhere preaching the word. So these believers certainly understood trials. They would have faced disillusionment, being uprooted from their homes, maybe isolation, persecution from the Romans, as well as the Jews who, when they received Christ, would have been um, put out by their Jewish family members, perhaps. So he's talking to some people who are going through some struggles, and he goes really for the heart. The first thing he says here is de he deals with that. Greetings, my brethren. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. He doesn't beat around the bush. He doesn't give trite advice. He, he goes for the heart. Count it all joy. And notice it says brethren. I just want to mention that these, you know, these folks are his, are his brothers in Christ. And that's important because without... Being in the family of God, we really have no hope for those struggles that we're going to face. So that I just want to throw out there. If you haven't received Christ, if you're not a part of his family, that's, pri that's primary. That has to come first. You have to be part of his family to take part in the blessing, the courage that he can provide. That's through, through that relationship with him that he does this, that he provides the strength, uh, the grace to go through these trials. So that is, that is key. So that's what I, I love about James. He just he goes, for the, goes for the heart. So I want to start with the bad news. I want to talk about the various trials and then share the good news at the end. I'd rather start with the bad news. So he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Or, you could read it, When you fall into trials, count it all joy when that happens to you. So let's talk about various trials. And there's two important things to remember about trials. Number one, they're inevitable. And number two, they have a purpose. They're not accidents. So I like how it says, count it all joy when, not if. And that's important. This is a normal part of our Christian lives. As someone has said, I forget who, you are either in a trial coming out of a trial or getting ready to enter a trial. So you're either in one, coming out of one, or going into one. So because these are unavoidable and because, you know, we don't really choose them, they happen to us, it's very important to know how to approach them. So these are tools that the Word of God gives us to handle these. Notice it says fall into Another word is encounter. You know, these trials, it, you know, they just have a way of being unexpected. They take, a, take us off guard. That word encounter can mean fall among. 
you're surrounded with, and sometimes that's how it feels. These trials are all around us. They can be surprising and bizarre. I have a little story about that. If uh, I teach uh, in Warwick Public Schools, and one of the things that you know as a teacher, the first week of school for teachers, students, and parents is sometimes the, the hardest week. You're getting ready, you're getting prepared, you're ending the summer, you're trying to you know, start well, you want to start well. So it's a tough time. So a couple months back, I'm coming home from school. You know, school started two days later. So I'm driving home, I go, I take a right into the parking lot of Cumberland Farms, and I hear this thud. And I look up, and I see a man at the pump. He comes, he was at his truck, he comes around, he starts swearing at me, yelling at me. And I was there like, what just happened? What, what is going on? And he said, didn't you see that guy? You just ran over a guy on a bike. And you... Talk about a trial. I'm thinking, oh my goodness. I just, I just killed somebody. I just ran somebody over with a bike. I, I mean, it was just insane. So, so I get out of my car. I'm just in shock. And I look back, and there's a guy on a bike laying on the ground. And it's just, just like that. Your life can change. So just bizarre. So the, basically what happened was, and found out later, so I pull, I pull in. He was on the sidewalk. He's going pretty fast, and he tried to hit his brakes, didn't work, and he rammed into the side of my Suburban. So thank God I didn't actually run him over. But in that moment, you're thinking, I just, I mean, what a horrible feeling. So all that week, so then anyway, so in God's mercy, he was not hurt. He, he was okay. So we're, we're, you know, I have to talk to the police officer and everything. So we're going through that, and then the police officer, I came back to say, you know, I hope everything's okay, you feel better, I'm really sorry about that, whatever, and the police officer looks and he says, Can, do you think you could give him a ride home? <laughs> like, talk about like sweating, I'm sweating the whole way home, you know, we're just talking about life, like we're good buddies, and it's like, man, I just ran this guy over with the bike, on a bike, and uh, so it was bizarre, and then I'm taking him home, and his mom calls him on the phone or somehow, and she starts freaking out. I can hear her on the phone, and I'm like, and he said, can you take me back to Cumberland Farm? So he was 20, 21. He was not a young kid, but 21, and so I said, yeah, whatever your mom wants you to do. I mean, so, so I'm like, I definitely don't want to encounter her. That would be, so I'll take you home, and I said, okay. So, but that whole week, you know, it's just, it's just this thing, and I'm wrestling with this thing and this trial, and, and it's just difficult, and you got to call the insurance, and you got to go through all this. It's a pain, and um, I remember talking to Kelly. I had lunch with Kelly back there, and he said, you know, don't consider it, read First Peter, don't consider it strange when the fiery, with the fiery trial among you. You know, don't, don't, don't think it's something out of the ordinary. It actually is quite ordinary to be facing these things, and we all face them in many kinds. So they can be bizarre. They can also be chronic and life-changing, and as a matter of fact, uh, this week uh, I found out, uh, my family found out that my mom is really sick, and we're going through, she has to take, get some tests, and you know, I appreciate the Wednesday group has been praying for her, and we're going to find out Friday, and if my mom is listening, I uh, love you, Mom, we're praying for you, and look forward to seeing you next weekend, I uh, should be there. So, you know, it's just things like this, you're never prepared for that kind of news, you're never prepared for that. You never think it's going to happen to me at this point. It's, it's never the right time. 
You know, and these trials, we, we fall into them. They happen. And they're various. So it says there, count all joy when you fall into various trials. So, I mean, they go from the bizarre to, you know, these diverse sorts. They're many colored, many shapes and sizes of trials. The little things. Now, I have five children. So, and I teach, so I'm with children. And I help out in the Sunday school with children. So I think God just uh, doesn't want me to remain selfish, so he put me around lots of kids. So it's the little things that kids do that can drive you crazy, that builds, that builds the patience. And so these afflictions, these you know, the everyday things that are just can be, an, can be annoying, the troubles, uh, they can be because we're human and live on this earth. Our bodies break down. We have sickness, disease, pain. They can be accidents sometimes tragic. They can be conflicts with people because we live on this earth and interact with one another. They can be trials because we're Christians. Now Jesus, he faced these kinds of things. Persecution, false accusations, abandonment, insults, mockery. And that's kind of why it's important to understand that they're inevitable and they don't happen because God doesn't love us or because we did something wrong. It's punishment. Because if that's true, then Jesus had some issues, right? And we know that he's perfect and he's the son of God. And, but he faced lots and lots of trials. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So sometimes it can be a sign that you're doing the right thing, actually, these trials. So there's physical, there's spiritual, there's also the emotion, emotional trials, the struggles, the pain of loss. Broken relationships, rejection, stress, everyday stress, disappointments, discouragement, all those, all those D words like disappointment, discouragement, dejection, right? So that's the bad news. And they're going to happen, so we should be prepared. We should have an approach. So what should our response be? Number one, so there's four things that I have today or that the word gives us. Evaluate, number one, and that's that word count. Number two, number two, approach them with joy. Number three is to know. To know. We have to know what God's word says and, and, and what the purpose is. And finally, four, we can ask if we don't know. So number one, count. It says, my brethren, count it all joy. So count is to evaluate. We count. We evaluate. We take a careful look. We can't approach these Trials haphazardly, as if they just kind of happen. They're not accidents. And actually, um, Warren Wiersbe says, our values determine evaluations. If we value comfort more than character, then trials will upset us. If we value the material and physical more than the spiritual, we will not be able to count it all joy. If we live only for the present and forget the future, then trials will make us bitter, not better. That's really good. I like that. So what do I value more, my comfort or my character? What's more important? And if it's my comfort, then I'll be upset most of my life. What does God value in my life and your life more than anything else? This is for Gabe. He said, are you going to ask questions like you used to do in class? So here's a question. What does God value in my life more than anything else? Your soul. Your soul? Yeah. And what about your soul? What's, what's his primary purpose? Make you, more Make you more like Christ. 
So if we believe that, if that's really true, how does that take place? Well, it doesn't take place by just making our lives totally and completely comfortable and giving us everything we want. I was thinking of showing this. Remember Veruca Salt from Charlie and the Factory? Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, remember her? I want it now, Daddy, I want it now. And her dad gave in to everything she wanted. And that's a picture of just how our flesh can get out of control. And it, it makes us less like Christ and more like the world and just kind of a snot-nosed brat. Nobody wants to be like that. So, um, so that's, Jesus is concerned with your character. He wants you to be more like Christ because that is the best possible outcome for you and for me. It brings God the most pleasure, the most glory, um, makes us useful in his kingdom. So God is at work in some way to make us more like Jesus. So count, evaluate those things in light of that. So joy, count it all joy. Are you crazy? Are you insane? You know, this just happened to me. Count it all joy. Don't tell me that. I don't want to hear that. Now, it doesn't say be, you know, giggly and silly and, you know, it's not like I'm happy in the circumstance. That's not what it says. But a joy, I think of joy as something deeper, something that is unshakable, something, a joy that you, you just know that God is going to do something. God has a plan, and there's, there's a joy in knowing that the purpose of this trial is greater than me, greater than anything I can see right now. I can't see it maybe right now. But in the future, God is going to do something with this, that faith. I believe that. That belief comes through experience, as we'll talk about a little bit. So your outlook determines your outcome. To end with joy, begin with joy. It's a purpose in your heart. You know, it's a determination. I'm going to, you know, I might not feel very joyful, but I'm going to choose joy in this situation. And think about Jesus. What was at the heart of his motivation to endure the suffering that he endured on this earth? What does it say? Hebrews 12, 2, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. It wasn't that the cross was fun. It was that he knew that joy, which is you and, and me, the joy is us, our salvation. He was going to be able to buy us back through his death, through his resurrection, through that suffering. We would experience a relationship with him. That is why he endured the suffering. So that's, that's a pretty good example for us, I think. So that joy. So it's count, to evaluate, to have, to have that joy. And that joy comes from knowing. And this is something we should know as Christians. It's just kind of like Christianity 101. You have to know this. To be better equipped for the problems of life that we face, because they're going to happen. So when you have big problems, you have a big opportunity for profit. And when I think of profit, I... Mostly that word is in reference to monetary gain. But think of the, the value or the benefit or the advantage that comes from uh, the profit or the outcome of those problems. You have an opportunity for big profit. To, to be profitable, does something have to be easy? No. We know in life that things often that have the most benefit are the hard things. They're not the easy things. It's very hard to save money. It's easy to spend money. You know, it's very, it's very hard to exercise. You know, that's, that's hard. You have to get up and be disciplined. It's hard to eat right. But those things are what's the best for us often. 
So we know. Well, how do we know this? It's through experience. As you watch God work in your life through one trial, you have experience. You have the knowledge and the faith that, man, God brought me through that. I know he's going to take me through this next trial, this next thing. So that solid character that he builds, that confidence, that knowing through experience can carry us through this life if we learn the lesson. We can look at biblical models, right? There are a lot of uh, men and women in the Bible who went through trials, and we can look at their example. It's not strange. It's not abnormal. This happens, right? Jesus, for 40 days, was tested in the desert, went through that trial. The Israelites, for 40 years, some of that was their own fault, but they still had to go through that process, and it was not easy. Moses... 80 years, Joseph, 13 years, right? They went through this process of trials and preparation. Look at the outcome, though, of Joseph's life and how God used him and his brothers. But you notice in the beginning, he, if you read in Genesis, he, he was sort of, you know, a little assertive and kind of did not really honor his brothers very much. So, you know, I had this dream and you guys are going to bow down to me. And, you know, so he was kind of, he, he needed to learn some things. And I believe that was part of the trial. So the prophet was his, the prophet that he experienced was being used by God in his growth, which we'll talk about. Now, if you don't have this knowing and you're here today and you're saying, ah, that's, I don't believe that. Well, then I would challenge you with James chapter, I'm sorry, Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. So we need this knowing, this wisdom. If you don't have it, ask. And God can reveal that to us. And that's the first step. Or again, Warren Wearsby said, we need wisdom so we will not waste the opportunities God is giving us to mature. And I like how the NIV actually puts that word in there. Let patience have its perfect work that you may be mature. And that's the... And that's part of the reward that we, that we experience and we'll talk about. So that's, that's the good news. So let's talk about the good news. We see these trials, if we approach them correctly, if we know, if we ask, if we approach them with joy, if we evaluate them as being not accidents, but God using them for some purpose, greater purpose in our lives, what are the rewards? There's five rewards that I found and probably more, but this is the good news. Number one, it proves our faith. Proves our faith. Number two, we receive the fruit of patience through patience. There's more patience built, which is, a, is very valuable in this life. Number three is our maturity. Number four, God's glory. And number five, a closer walk with God. So if we approach these trials correctly, we'll receive these rewards. So verse three, does knowing that the testing of your faith, the testing of your faith. So that testing, that word testing, it means the approving of or authenticating or testing the quality. So your faith is so valuable that God tests it, approves it, refines it, purifies it. First Peter 1.7 says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than that of gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So testing. So these tests are to prove our faith. Now tests, I, I teach, and some of you are teachers here. So in tests in school, they measure proficiency. They measure you know, how well the teachers may be doing or if the students got that particular task. Sometimes they include fill in the circles. 
Uh, sometimes they pr produce anxiety. God's tests are a little different. They test our measure of faith or prove our faith. They're given with careful administration. He doesn't give us a test we can't handle. And with the test gives us the sufficiency to pass by his grace. And they have a deep purpose. They produce the lasting character traits like patience. So that's, that's the first reward is God's patience. Or he proves our faith and gives us the fruit of patience. Again, he's about building our character. I like Proverbs 24.10. It says, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. So I don't know about you, but I don't want to be that guy. You know, I don't want to faint in the day of adversity. So what, what does it take? What takes a proving of my faith? God has to build strength and character. It's a process. So that's a, that's a reward. And it reminds me of like a wise trainer, an athletic trainer. They test, they stretch, they strengthen skills, work on muscle groups, and sometimes this process is painful, but the, the trainer knows exactly sort of the areas of weakness, and they test, and they try, and they do things. And, the, and the, if, if the trainee, if the athlete is listening, they can grow through sometimes struggle, and sometimes that growth is painful. Sometimes a test, right, you take a test and it's very humbling. Man, I'm not, I'm not where I thought I was, right? I really need, you know, more work in this area. And sometimes that humbling process is valuable. Sometimes that can give us valuable feedback to say, hey, look, I need to, I need to really work on this area. So that can be a benefit. So verse 3 again, it says, the testing of your faith, this testing, this, this process that's valuable, it produces patience. So I like the word produce. We don't strive or struggle for patience. It's something that happens as we walk through these things. God builds. He's trying to produce fruit in our lives. Now, patience is such an important fruit in our lives, and obviously we want to bear fruit. For his kingdom. Think about it. He, Jesus is willing to allow suffering in our lives that we might produce this fruit. That's how much this fruit is important. Because he loves you. He wouldn't do something just to punish you. No, he loves you as a child. So he will allow these things, the suffering, to produce patience. That's how important it is. He loves us too much to let us stay the same. But I like how it says, but let patience, in verse 4. Let patience have its perfect work. So is it easy to let patience? Another version, NIV says perseverance. Is it easy to be perseverant, or per, to persevere, or to exercise perseverance? Is that easy? Again, no. That's the essence of patience. If it was easy to endure, it wouldn't be called endurance. It's difficult. Um, I, again, speaking of athletic, athletic analogies, my brother, my brother-in-law, he's a bodybuilder, and he has, he has something he said one time. He said, if working out was easy, everyone would do it. You know, so it's a challenge to do these different events, and patience is growth over time. So let patience. It takes time. Can we resist the work of patience in our lives? Is that possible? 
I think this, the way it's worded, it indicates that, but let patience. So there's an element of letting God work. Can we refuse to be patient? Sure, sure. Sometimes, when we are going through a trial, our first response, now be honest, what's your first prayer? No, I don't want this. Get it out of, take it away. You know, I, that's my first response often. Okay, is to ask God to take it away. I want to be rescued. Just let me out. We miss the opportunity to learn the lesson God is trying to teach us. We may miss the opportunity for growth. This is true in my life and leads to the third benefit or reward of enduring trials is God's uh, maturity, maturity in our lives. Maturity is the key here. Growth is the key. What's at stake? Our maturity. Now, I have babies, they, you know, five children. They all went through this phase where they're, they're just little babies, and they are so cute. It doesn't matter what they do. They're like, oh, that's so cute. They make a huge mess, throw spaghetti on the floor. They don't clean up after themselves. They're pretty much helpless. You have to change their diapers, but, oh, they're so cute. On their fifth birthday, if they're throwing spaghetti on the floor, it's not cute anymore. When they're seven, eight, they're not potty trained, it's not cute anymore. It can be frustrating. So God, I, I feel like we're like that sometimes. And our Christian age or our spiritual age does not define our maturity. You have some believers who have been believers a long time, they're not very mature. And vice versa, Right? Sometimes we never grow up. We get stuck in a cycle of immaturity and God keeps bringing these trials around. Now listen, I'm no better. When I look at the life of Paul, James, the persecuted believers in this world, I feel like my trials are pretty third grade. I worked with third graders. I taught third grade for two years and I understand third grade trials. Things like, I didn't get the teacher I wanted. I had a student one time the first day of school he bawled hysterically when I went to pick them up because he didn't want Mr. Montoya to be his teacher. He wanted the other third grade teacher. <laughs> bawled hysterically. Now he ended up having an okay year, but that was a trial for him. My trials are sometimes like that. I didn't get what I want. I think third graders, if they don't get the lunch they ordered, you're in big trouble. <laughs> and you're going to get a phone call from parents. So I didn't get the food I wanted. Oh, no. Someone called me a name. Someone doesn't like me. Someone won't play with me at recess. Now, don't we still wrestle with these issues? They're just, we just sophisticate them a little, make them more sophisticated, right? Someone doesn't like me, they looked at me funny. Well, and the truth is, if that's where you're at, if that's where I'm at, then that's where we're at. So the next trial that comes along, use it to profit, okay? Benefit from it. At some point, we need to realize God might keep bring, bringing that issue back and cycled through our lives to get us through the spiritual third grade. If that's where you're at, that's where you're at. But eventually, you want to pass third grade. You want to move on to fourth grade. So the names and faces in the issue might change. Right? But the, the, but the problem is the same because the problem is you. Right? And I, and you and me. We're the problem, not necessarily the situation. I'll give you an example. 
uh, back in my early 20s, I went to Bible college and studied and I did an internship in children's ministry and I was, you know, God was doing great things in my life and I thought I was something, right? And I had a conflict with one of the pastors at a church that I left for the wrong reasons. So I left a church for the wrong reasons. Now there are reasons to leave a church, some are good, but in my case it was not good. And the problem, I had a problem. It was taking direction from leaders in, his church, in the church. God was trying to teach me to submit to imperfect people. Every time I found something wrong, I could just run away. Some reason I knew better than the spiritual authorities that God put in my life. So I left that church and I went to another church. And guess what? Same thing. Had the same problem. I left that church. Guess what? Met another pastor, Pastor Tom, same problem. And then I met Pastor Rich. And each step, God brought up similar things until finally, you know, I got here and at some point you surrender to that and you say, well, God, you know, work in my life. What are you trying to teach me through this? And through that process, I, I believe that God, you know, put me here and brings up, sometimes these things happen. But because you face those trials, you grew up a little bit, you matured, they don't affect me in quite the same way. You're not, that doesn't dominate my Christian experience, you know, always being frustrated with what people tell me to do. Because that was a third grade problem that I just had to learn. So if you don't remember anything today, remember this. So I like these because you could, you know, if you forget everything else, okay, fine. Remember this, the next time you face a trial, pray this instead of God, get me out. Pray, what are you trying to teach me through this trial, Lord? What are you trying to teach? What am I supposed to learn through this and I submit to it? Okay, start there first. Now, is it okay to ask God for healing? Sure, yes. But sometimes there's a bigger, there's a bigger reason. There is a reason he's trying to teach us something. So pray that. If you forget everything else, hold on to that. Isn't this like Jesus' prayer in the garden? Not my will, but yours be done. So he submitted to the Father. I want to talk a little bit about how else we let patience have its perfect work or perseverance. So get this. On God's path to maturity, there are no shortcuts. And this is hard for us, for me, who live in an I want it now culture. Let's face it, we live in an I-want-it-now culture. If we want it, we can go buy it. I don't have to wait. Who does that sound like? I want it now. Who is it? Yeah, sounds like a toddler. I want it now. It's a language of toddlers. It's the essence of immaturity. They don't want to wait. Genevieve, she's you know, not a toddler yet, but getting there. right? If she doesn't get her food now... It's, it's World War III. It's, you know, ah, you know, tantrum, right? We can be destructive, selfish, angry when we don't get our own way. Our culture is saturated with I want it now. Because of our covetousness, pride, we see someone has something. Oh, that's nice. I like that. I'm going to go buy it even if we don't have the money. We can buy it now, pay later, right? I deserve it. The car commercial's out there. Oh, my gosh. Like, you deserve to drive this car. Like, you can have it now. With monthly payments of, you know, too much that you can't afford. If it hurts, I want it to stop now. So we run into, you know, medication's good, but we run into problems like drug abuse and alcohol abuse, right? 
So the I want it now culture leads us to shortcuts, right? And shortcuts can be very dangerous, dangerous to our spiritual lives. You look at the world around us, shortcuts are all around us, right? In sports, what's the shortcut? Steroids, right? Finances, what's the shortcut? Credit, right? Charge it. Spend now, save later. How about self-promotion? Right? That's a shortcut. Uh, Satan tempted Jesus with self-promotion. He said, if you bow down to me, all this will be yours. Now, first of all, he's lying. And that's the thing about shortcuts. It's a lie because they never produce the result you think they will produce. They never give you what's promised. Jesus resisted the devil okay, because he knew. He knew that that was not going to work the way uh, towards your salvation, towards victory, okay? Shortcuts can affect our purity, right? Pornography, adultery, it's the pleasure without the commitment, those kinds of things affect us in this world, right? So what's the remedy? What do we do with all this, with shortcuts? Well, like I said, remember that it doesn't lead to the desired outcome, and that takes wisdom. You know, you know what's going to happen. If I choose this shortcut, I know the end game. Proverbs 21.5 says, Good planning and hard work leads to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to po- poverty. So you know the end of the road. Another version says, Steady plodding brings prosperity. So patience over time. Okay, knowing that. Again, it's knowing God's word, right? 1 Corinthians 10.3, no temptation has overcome you except that which is common to man. God is faithful. In the temptation, he will provide a way of escape. So he provides a way. Take that way out. Sometimes it means giving God time to arrange the circumstances. Just giving him time. And we know this, right, from Abraham. People like Abraham, they... they, they Kind of took the shortcut and they had, he had Ishmael, not the son of promise. Okay, so it's learning to wait on the Lord, having faith and belief that God is going to work it out in his time. So that's three. Four, the reward for this kind of endurance, this kind of patience, is God's glory. And so another prayer is, you know, when you're going through these things, ask, how might God want to be glorified through my life, through this? How might God demonstrate his power in my life during this trial? Yes, it could be deliverance, but maybe it's something deeper. How how might it benefit his kingdom? Now, I have a lot of respect for many of you and people out there who I've watched walk through trials. I've watched it firsthand. I've seen you go through loss, sickness, right, struggles, And come out stronger on the other end. And that encourages me and encourages those around you. Maybe the trial you're going through is not for you. Maybe it's to benefit someone in his kingdom to bring glory to him. The fruit of patience in your life could be a fruit to benefit somebody else. And that's really important, God's glory. So big problems bring big benefit in this area of producing fruit, the fruit of patience. Proving your faith to be genuine, which is more precious than gold. It matures us, brings glory to God. Finally, these kinds of trials can bring us a deeper walk with God. 
Don't trials have a way and suffering have a way of refocusing our affections on him? We have the greatest need when we're having the greatest suffering. We cry out to him. Sometimes it can wake us up to the reality that this life is temporal, that this life is so short, and it can encourage us to look forward to eternal life, which is what it's all about. It's all about his kingdom. Our, we're just passing through. You know this, God is near to the brokenhearted, and blessed are those who mourn. So there's something about an intimate relationship that, you've, that you experience through those trials, and, and you know that. You've experienced that. So in summary, we shouldn't ask, why is this happening to me? Because we know why, right? Kelly always loves to quote this to me, right? He says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though, as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. So respond with joy because you know the rewards of enduring these trials. They prove our faith, produce patience, maturity, glory, and a deeper fellowship with God. Now, that's the end of my message, but I do want to take a few minutes to just mention the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. We don't understand totally and completely what that's like. We may someday. I hope not, but we may. But what we can do is use our freedom in this country as we're meeting here openly to hold up our brothers and sisters in this world who are facing these kinds of persecutions. According to statistics, at least 100 million Christians are persecuted daily around the world. We hear about these things. And that problem just seems so large. How do I, how do I comprehend that? And so one practical way that I wanted to do today, I did a little research and I found you know, the group Voice of the Martyrs. They're a very, uh, very reputable group. And so I printed out some country cards. So the country card has on the card, it's the name of the country, the flag, and it gives a little background information, whether the country is restricted, hostile, or being monitored. Restricted means you can't print or pass out Bible materials. Uh, people face death for their faith, um, being ostracized from their families. So that, if it's restricted, and those cards are on the top, because we're going to pass them out, and you're going to take one. Those cards are on the top. So I just want you to take this, put it in your Bible, keep it, pray. I just think if we break the task into something smaller, it might make more sense. And, you know, there's no reason to feel guilt. You know, sometimes I hear about things going on in the world. I feel guilt because I don't know what to do. I don't understand. But we can pray. That's one thing we can do. So this is a practical step. Um, it has a little statistical information, what life for Christians is like, and a little bit about what Voice of the Martyrs does. On the back table, you can check your country uh, as you pick up a donut right? Check, your, check what country you have and where it's located. Just to give you a little, I couldn't put the maps on all of them. Uh, it would just taken too much, I don't know, I just cut them up, but um, so you can write down or just remember, is it, is it Asia? Is it Africa? Is it the Middle East? Right? A lot of these places in the 1040 window, you know, are facing lots of persecution. So because it's the day that we think of to, to 
think of our brothers and sisters. Take one of these, pass, pass it down. So I'll start it in the one stack on the left, one stack on the right. Before I do that, I just want to pray. So I'm going to pass these out. And then, uh, but let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for men like James and for you, Jesus, who demonstrate how we should respond to trials because they are not easy. And Lord, we look to your example. We ask for your grace and your faith to stand up under the trials we face. And those trials might be third grade right now. That might be where we're at. And that's okay. But Lord, we want to learn the lesson that you want to teach us today. Lord, we would not look for escape as the first response, but look to grow a deeper relationship with you. And Lord, I do pray if there are any here, you know, I pray for my mom. I pray for those who are sick and struggling with these kinds of things, Lord. I, I do pray if it is in your will, you deliver us. But Lord, we know that at times you want to test our faith, faith and prove our faith for some work you're doing, maybe to benefit others. And so we submit to your will. And Lord, we just pray for your courage, your wisdom to stand up, to know the outcome is worth the pain. So Lord, help us. We need your Holy Spirit. We commit our lives to you. And Lord, we lift up our brothers and sisters around this world, Lord. It's, it's a hard thing to understand, to comprehend. We haven't faced things like that yet. But we pray that you would remind us. Lord, we pray for their... Just show us, Lord. Just show us how we might stand with them. And just as a, as a, as a way to lift them up to you. So we thank you for this day. We pray for Pastor Rich and Paula. Help them to get home safely. And just bless them. Uh, give them a time of refreshing there in Florida. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.